Well, we're going to get into the Word of God. We've been talking about uh, the, the process of renewing our mind. And, and uh, the scripture that we're, is our key scripture, if you'd put that up there, is Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2 talks about, uh, it's a big word, isn't it? And this is our instructions. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And this is what we're talking about. I'm teaching basically a course that I've taught many times in the school of ministry that we had here. This is the second time I've taught this on a Wednesday night. We did that several years ago. And even now as I'm beginning to work on some things and, 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 and meditate on some things in my own life, this, these principles are becoming more and more real to me with all, many, is all the times that I've taught them. This is the Word of God. It is the truth. This really works. I've had people come to me that have taken these materials and listened to them and then applied them and talked about how much it's changed their life. Well, the course didn't change their life. It's the Word of God that changed their life. And the Word of God taught by the anointing of the Spirit, if we not just listen to it, but if we begin to apply it in our lives, that's what will change your life. The Word of God is what will change your life. We're just learning how to bring it into our life and apply it in our life. So we've learned that this key scripture is something we're not to do. It's not to be conformed to this world. The word conformed means to allow the pressure of the world to mold you so that you look like not your physical appearance, but you talk like, that you think like, and you act like, just like the world, so that, so that the world can see no difference in the church than it does in the rest of the world. And unfortunately, that's the testimony of much of the church today, is we don't look or talk or act or even think very differently than the world does today because we've allowed the pressures of this world. That includes fear. That includes the pressures of life. And Satan will use those pressures to keep you pressed down so that you act like the world, react like the world. We get angry at people. We strike back. We take the control of our lives into our own hands to try to work hard or do whatever to make instead of just trusting God, instead of coming to Him. And that's what we're not to do, but what we are to do is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we've seen that the word transformed is a very different word than the word conformed. The word transformed literally means to take what you are on the inside, your inner nature, and bring it to the outside. And one of the examples that's from nature, of course, is a caterpillar that has within it nature to be a butterfly. But it doesn't look like a butterfly when you see that thing crawling down the side of your, the, the trunk of your tree. But at some point, that caterpillar will get up in the leaves and in the twigs and begin to weave a cocoon around it. And eventually, when time is finished, the process is finished, and that, ca that caterpillar has now been transformed into what it was always intended to be, which is that beautiful butterfly. And then it comes forth out of that cocoon and bursts forth as the, as in its true nature, which is why the butterfly is, a butterfly is so often used as a symbol of the new birth, because it's taking what your real nature is and bringing it the outside. And that's what the word transformed means. But then it tells us the process by which the Bible has ordained, God has ordained for that to happen. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind and for the purpose that we may prove, establish, demonstrate to a lost world what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. So we're learning in this course so that we can be transformed, so that we can what's on the inside of us can begin to come to the outside. We're learning that the process is to, to renew our minds. So what we're going to begin to do, we're going to just give a little bit of background here tonight. We're going to begin to talk about 
Uh, whoops, that's not where we're supposed to be. We're getting ahead here. Getting way ahead here. Okay. What we talked about is that left-hand column is we've gone through, and there are many more things we could talk about here. We've gone through and looked at uh, uh, things the Bible says God has already done for us. Not God will do, but what God has already done for us. When you were born again, God put in you His nature and His spirit. God's nature in you has all of His characteristics and His spirit has all of His ability. In, in, in Peter's letter, one of Peter's letters, he talks about that we have within us now the divine nature. That's God's nature is in you. So we looked at that we're a new creature. God's given to us all His spiritual blessings. He's redeemed us. He's lavished His grace upon us. He's given us an inheritance. He's sealed us in Christ. We are children of God. We're His own flesh, not flesh and blood. We're of His own spiritual flesh and blood. His, his own spirit dwells in us. We're sealed or protected by His spirit. We have an inheritance. We've been made alive in us. God is for us. And there are many others we could live. That's the left-hand side. That's what God has done for us. But then we've asked the question, which is the right-hand side, if we look honestly at our lives, how much of that are we really enjoying? How much of that's showing up on the outside? How much of that, have we been transformed enough Why all of those, are we, are, do you walk around, not in arrogance, but do you walk around as if you're a child of God? Do you walk around with, with, with a confidence, not in yourself, but in, the, in your Father who you belong to? When you're praying... Do you have a confidence that God's hearing you? The same confidence that you would have that He hears Jesus? But you understand the Scripture says you've been joined to Christ. That He loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Therefore, He listens to you as much as He listens to Jesus. He's for you as much as He's for Jesus. But do you feel as if He's for you? Do you walk through your day? Do you handle the crises of life as if God is on my, I mean, really on my side? When you pray, do you expect God to answer your prayers? Or are we just throwing things up, hoping something's going to stick someday? What, what is my life really like? That's what we need to honestly look at, because that'll tell you how much of what's on the left side is showing up on the right side. But in order to understand that difference, what we had to look at is we had to look at a distinction. The legal versus the vital. This gets a little technical here, but it's important to understand this. The legal side of the Bible it's a, it is, is what God has done for us. It's God's side of us. We went back and looked in Genesis chapter 17 when God made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And at that time, not only was he now at that point 75, he was 85 at that point, and he was too old to have children. His wife was 75. She was too old and she was barren on top of that. There was just no way it was going to happen. And God's talking to him about being not just a father, but a father of many nations. And in Genesis 17, God enters into a covenant with him. And when God enters into the covenant with him, the tense of the verb that God's using changes. Instead of saying, I will make you, in verse chapter 17, he now says, as for me, I have made you. So from God's side, in God's heart and in God's mind, it was settled. He had done that. That's the legal part. It's from God's side, He's done it. But we're learning that there's another side to that. That's the side we're experiencing, and they're not the same. 
So just because God's done something doesn't mean I'm automatically experiencing it. Something has to take place for that to happen. And that's the vital side. And that's what led us over to this again. The legal side is what God has done. The vital side is how much of that am I experiencing it? And then we found out that the Bible's telling us that the way you get it from the legal side, from what God said He's done, as a reality in your life, the Bible says in Romans 12 too, is by the renewing of your mind. And that's why we're here. That's what we're all about. And that's what we've covered up until this point. Now in order to understand this process, we have to do something that may sound a little strange to you. Because in order to renew your mind, you've got to find it. When, when, when I was, we were first saved and, and I began to realize that, as the, that as, the, as the father and the husband, the Bible says I was to be the head of my house. Now that didn't mean that means I'm the boss. That means I'm the first one responsible. Because I asked God, I said, all right, what does it mean to be the head? I'm expecting some big scripture or theological explanation. And all God said, it means you do it first. If something has to happen, you do it first. You set the example you have to change first. And, and, and so what I realized, all right, okay, God, what do I do first? How do I get this household in order? How do I get this in order? And while I'm talking to God about this, we had a little miniature poodle named Mandy. And those of you who have been in school of ministry have heard about Mandy. Mandy was the most precious little dog. She was so cute, but Mandy was completely out of control. We couldn't let her out of the house. And we'll talk more about Mandy a little later on. We couldn't let her out of the house because if Mandy got out of the house, she was out of the house until she decided to come back. So we had to keep Mandy in the house unless we took her out on a leash and we had to make sure that when the door was open and closed that where Mandy was because she skewed out because she was small and she was quick and she was smart. She would be sleeping in a corner with one eye open because she could sense somebody was going to go out that door and the moment that door, you know, you kind of look around, the moment that, zoom, she's outside and I'll, I'll share with you a story about that uh, as we get a little on further in the mind. So what the Lord dealt with me, He says, all right, here's what you've got to do. You've got to get your dog in order. I said, what? No, Lord, I'm talking about getting my wife in order, my kids in order, our finance, I want to get everything. He says, you've got to, if the littlest thing is out of order, it's going to affect everything else. If you've got a dog that's completely out of control and you're trying to establish order in the rest of your family, it's not going to happen. So I had to take Mandy, we'll talk more about it, I had to take Mandy to, 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 to obedience school and I soon discovered obedience school wasn't for Mandy. It was for me. Because I couldn't teach Mandy obedience if I hadn't learned it. And that's another message for another night. All right. So in order to, here's the point. In order to bring order and, and, and to, to renew my, our family, I had to get control of the dog. We had to have control of the dog for the dog's benefit. So in order to renew your mind, you have to get control of it. And some of you are sitting there right now saying, you just lost me because that ain't going to happen. But if the Word of God says, if God says that we're to renew our mind, then you've got to settle that you can renew your mind. God's Word is not going to tell you to do something that you're not able to do. You may not see the ability in you, but if you'll step out, God will give you the ability. And that's why we're teaching this course, so that we can learn how to do that. So in order to learn how to get control of your mind, you've got to find out where it is. 
And I don't mean that it's lost, because some of you may feel as if you've lost your mind. We're not. We're talking about that. We're un, we've got to understand why God, what the purpose of our mind is, why God gave us a mind. And in order to do that, we have to begin to look at, step back, and understand a concept that the Bible talks about that may sound a little off, off direction to you, but you'll see where it fits in a minute. We're going to talk tonight about, or begin to talk tonight about, two realms of existence. The Bible, there may be others out there, but the Bible talks about two realms of existence. So in order to get into that, let's talk about, first of all, what a realm of existence means. A realm of existence is a dominion or a domain. It is an area of influence. If we were to bring it down into politics or something, it's like a country. So in, in the United States, there's a domain and there's an authority that rules over this, which is our government, our president, our Congress, and then we have states have their own domain. And, and you, can, you could be, uh, can travel from the United States, be a United States citizen, and go into a foreign country, and the fact that you're American may not mean anything there because you're in somebody else's domain, someone else's area of influences, someone else's area of authority. And in other countries, they operate by different principles. I'll never forget the first time we went on a missions trip to Mexico, I discovered when we went out on, to, to, to do some street witnessing, we were in a different country. Because the policemen standing on the corner didn't just have a revolver on their side, they had bullets like this and machine guns. And flat. Now, nowadays you may see more of that in this country, but we're talking about 10 years ago. You in some of these countries, you don't have rights such as you do here. Uh, friends of ours that are missionaries in southern Mexico, they, they had friends with them, uh, people down visiting them, and they went in two cars. The men went in one car and the women went in another car, and the women's car was pulled over just for a routine police stop, and they wanted to see their passports, and their passports was with their husbands in the other car. And they said, we need to see your passport. And she said, well, it's with my other car. Uh-uh, you come with me. And she, they put her in jail until they could get that passport established. So in other countries, the rights you have here don't count over there. And so you have to learn to operate by different rules. I remember when our, one of our youngest son actually was on a missions trip in the Ukraine, and the guy that was in charge of it says, you know, they were in a city when they started out. He says, look, if, if something happens and it looks like something's wrong, don't get involved. And so my son, who's a protector and a defender, saw some guy steal a girl's wallet, or grab a girl's purse, and he started to go after him, and this guy tackled him. He says, don't get involved, because if you get involved, they don't like Americans here, they're going to turn on you, and they will arrest you, and there's not much I can do. So he had to learn to think differently. So the point is this, a realm of existence operates under an authority and operates under certain rules. Now, when it comes to spiritual things, the Bible tells us about two realms of authority. One of them is the spirit realm, the spiritual realm. So we're going to talk a little bit about that realm and what's involved in that realm, and then I'll introduce you to the other realm, which is the realm you're a little more used to. First of all, what is the, what is the spirit realm? Well, it's real easy to determine what's in the spirit realm because it's, some, it's, somewhere, it's in a realm where something exists that you cannot detect with one of your five senses. 
So if you can smell it, taste it, hear it, touch it, what am I missing? Or hear it, or see it. You know, you know the five senses. You got them, don't you? Okay. Then it's not in the spirit realm. So angels, this room has at least as many angels in here as there are people because we at least have one angel, a guardian angel, and, and you can't see them unless something supernatural happens. Shh. My angel may be right behind me right now. I may have hit him, I may not. I don't know. Because if Tim were standing up here behind me and I swung behind me, I'd know Tim was there because I could feel him because he would make contact with my hand or my hand would make contact with him. But because my angel's in a different realm, there's no natural contact. There's no contact that my senses can detect. Okay. Second thing about it is this is the realm. Whoops, that's the first thing. This is the realm where God exists. It talks about the heavens. There's, a, there's, a, there's several levels of the heavens the Bible talks about. Paul talks at one point in, in 2 Corinthians 12 about being caught up into third heaven. Well, there's a heaven where God resides, where we will reside with Him. But there's a heaven that the Bible also talks about, the heavenly around this earth when it talks about spiritual warfare, and that's the spiritual atmosphere around this world, around this earth. There's a spiritual atmosphere. It talks about when Jesus encounters the, demon, the, the madman of Gadara and he's going to cast the demons out. Talks, or elsewhere, he talks about when, when, uh, when demons are cast out of somebody, they, they go around into waterless places. That's the spiritual atmosphere around here. You can't see them, but they're there operating. They're affecting things. There are times when Jesus healed people by casting demons out. They couldn't see them or else they would have known to do that, but he could spiritually discern that. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit. There's the gift of discernment. the spiritually discerning what spirits are operating. In some cases, it involves actually seeing them. So it's where God resides. Also, it's eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. There's no time factor. And that's hard for our minds to grasp because everything we've ever experienced or ever known has a beginning and has an end. You may not have experienced the end yet, but you know there's an end. And so this is one of the reasons it's hard to understand some things about God because God doesn't live in time. To God, everything's now. The cross is just as much now as it was 2,000 years ago in this realm in time. So, so we try to you know, get into these debates. Was, was the world created really in seven actual days or not? When you start talking in terms of God, you can't bring Him down to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God lives in the now. Everything, it's only this realm of existence that has time. And so, but because that's all we know, it's very hard to stretch our finite, tiny little pea brains around the enormity of eternity. So don't try. Just accept it by faith. It has no beginning. It has no end. Another factor about it is it never changes. It's constant. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. In this realm, things do not change. And here's the one that's even harder sometimes to grasp. It's more real than the other realm we're going to talk about. 
The spirit realm is more real. And the reason we struggle that is we're used to determining everything, the reality of things by our senses. You are confident that chair that you're sitting in was real because you can touch it. You can feel it supporting you. Therefore, you have confidence that it's real. But don't assume that because that's how we determine things are real by our normal experience that you can bring that over into the spirit realm to discern whether things are real. Because this is what our science is trying to do right now. Our, Our scientific world, by and large, is trying to determine whether God or the principles of God are real by using telescopes and microscopes and other kind of scopes. And you can't scope God to see if He's real or not. Okay. That's that realm. And there's much more we can say about it, or we will say. Now let's talk about the other realm, which is the realm we're much more experienced with, which is the material realm, the natural realm. This is the realm that in Genesis chapter 1... It says, in the beginning. Did you ever ask the beginning of what? Well, it can't be the beginning of heaven because there is no beginning to heaven. So it's not talking about the beginning of heaven. It's talking about the beginning of this material realm of existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The spiritual, the atmosphere around here and the earth. And then it goes on and talks about the other aspects of this material realm that God created. Now, Just as the spiritual realm is a realm where things exist, but you can't detect them by your five senses, the material realm is a realm where you can detect their presence and things about them by your five senses. Before I got up here, Anita turned to me and says, do you think it's warm in here? And I said, no, I don't feel warm. She may be feeling warm. She's sensing temperature by the senses, sensory uh, nervous sensors on her skin. And, by, and so we, we sense people. I can tell you're here. I don't know if you're emotionally here or not, but I can tell you're physically here because I can see you. I don't have to guess. I don't need to use faith. I may need faith before I came here to know whether you're going to be here or not, but I don't need faith to believe you're here now. I can see that you're here now, and you can see that I'm here. So I know you're real by your sense, by my senses determine that. So the material realm is something where we detect, we, it's anything that's real that we can detect by our senses. It's made of the substance of this earth. Everything we see from your flesh, that's what the Bible means. From flesh, we, from dirt we came, and from dirt, dust we return. Your body comes, comes from the material substance of this earth, and it will return to that. That's what ashes to ashes refers to. So it's of the substance of this earth. It's temporary. It has a limited time. This is what Paul means when he talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18. He says, For these momentary light afflictions are t- producing us eternal weight of glory. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen, not detected by my five senses, those are eternal. And Paul's talking there about faith because he goes on in chapter 5 and says that the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We, in order to, to operate in this life with confidence that heaven is real, that God's promises are real, that even God is real, you have to operate by faith. Faith is what makes the connection for things you can't detect by your senses. That's why faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things your senses can't detect. 
Evidence is what proves to you it's real. And because God and the things of God are in a spirit realm, they are, you cannot d- determine whether they're real or not by your five senses. So you can't use your senses, your, your five senses, to determine whether anything about God is true. You must do that by faith. That's why faith is so important. So the material realm is temporary, and it's always changing. And by launch, it's always changing for the worse, not for the better. Paul says, for this outward man is what? Changing, he's perishing. And if you don't believe that, get an old picture of yourself, and then look in the mirror. And you will see that we are changing. About a month ago, I brought my wife up here because we were celebrating our 40th anniversary, and I put a picture from our wedding, and she hasn't changed much. How was that? But I have obviously changed a lot. I had a lot more hair. It was a different color. As Marianne Brown used to say, things that used to be north start heading south. <laughs> and you be, well, we won't go there. All right. We don't need to go there. Okay. So those are these two realms of existence. And as a result, this material realm is less real. It's weaker than the spirit realm. So if there's a conflict between the two, the weak is going to give way to the stronger. The weak is going to give way to the stronger. Now I've gone through this exercise so that you would be aware and have a greater sense of what these two realms are. But the key element of this comes down to this, that that there is a divide between the two. There's a divide between these two realms of existence. And the divide is this. In the spirit realm, God is in you. In the spirit realm, that's your, we're talking about your spirit. Because your spirit comes from the spirit realm. The Bible says that, that the process of being born again is God takes your old heart out, your old spirit out of stone, and He puts in you a spirit, a, a heart of flesh. You are born, we've gone over this before, you're born of God. John chapter 1 says, and he came with his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That word in Greek, of, means out of God. Born out of God. Just as your physical body was born out of your parents and therefore bears the nature and tendencies of your parents in your physical being, in the same way the spirit man on the inside was born uh, was born again. Was born again. Your original spirit man was born when you were conceived in your mother, and when you came to Christ, that real man on the inside was born a second time, and this time, because the verb again in Greek has two meanings. It means a second time, and it also means from above. So what changed inside of you was your spirit man and now when you came to Christ you may have felt something, you may have not felt anything The because feeling something is of the natural material realm. You can't determine whether something spiritually happened by what you feel. You may feel something, you may not feel something so don't base what you happened by what you feel, base what you believe happened by what God says because that doesn't change. 
So when you came to Christ, when you received Him, He took your old nature out, your old spirit man out, and He breathed in you a brand new spirit mean conceived of God. Remember when the Bible talks about when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Blessed are you among women. You have found favor with God. There's the Holy Spirit. Who? The Holy Spirit shall come upon you shall impregnate you and you shall con- he shall conceive in you the son of god what do you think happened to you when you came to christ the holy spirit came upon you and conceived in you the son of god that you may grow up and mature into the image of christ not because you act like it on the outside because you choose to, because you allow this process through the renewing of your mind for this new nature that's God's own nature in you to begin to work its way to the outside. That's what this process is. So God is living in you. And not only is He living in you because He's birthed His Son in you, but then He takes His own Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally God's Spirit. And He puts His own Spirit in you to begin to direct you so that He can communicate with you. So in your spirit, which is the part of you that is from that other realm, the part of you that's from the spirit realm is your spirit, and that is God in you. That's your real nature. That's your source of life, the spiritual life in you. I'm sure, I hope you've had the experience. I know I did many times and still do sometimes, where I come, Wednesday night especially, I remember I knew it was practice law, and I would have a hard day. I may have been in court. I may have been dealing with some very difficult clients. And, and, and in my office was an hour away from here. And I'd get in the car. I'd come home. My family would be ready. I would throw some food in my mouth and get our family together and come in here just because we became, established the habit of doing that. And so many times I think, oh, I'm too tired to come. I need a break. But I'd come anyway because I developed that habit. That's why it's so important to develop good habits because what a habit will do is when you don't feel like it, it's a default. You've you got the default things on your computer, default things on your iPhone. If you set this, but there's a default color, there's a default this. Your habit is your default, what you revert to when you just don't feel like it. And I come in here and I thought, oh, Bless the Lord. We didn't sing that one back then. You know, we'd sing praise God. You know, we get through it and I'd sit there and, you know, like some of you. I never left here feeling more energized than when I came in. Not feeling more energized than when I came in. I always left here feeling stronger. I can't tell you the times I get up here. I come into church on a Wednesday night and say, maybe I should have somebody else preach tonight. But I have something that's in my heart I need to share. And when I get up here, energy starts flowing. What do you think that is? That's spiritual life. It's spiritual life. And we decide, we're so ruled by our senses and deciding things by our senses. You know what? I'm too tired to do this. I'm not strong enough to do this. When inside of us is the life of God. The life of God. Just waiting to burst forth. But we have to step out by faith and act as if it's so. And then when you put yourself in that situation, that life begins to pour out of you. And you, whoo, where did that come from? It was in us all the time. The life source. And it's eternal. This is your nature on the inside. And then there's that thing called our body. That comes from the material realm. 
So these are two sides of you. These are, t- these are the two realms we've just talked about in you. Both of those realms are operating in you right now. So your spirit man is who you really are on the inside. But your spirit man dwells in your earth suit, your earth container, which is your body, and that's, of course, of this natural material realm. So your body is made of the flesh of this world, just as your spirit is made of God. Your body is the container for your spirit. That's why you have to leave it here. You can't get into heaven with this thing because it's not fit to get into heaven because it's not of that heaven, it's not of the spirit realm, it's of this realm. But you have to have a body for your spirit to walk around in because if there's no body for your spirit to walk around in, you can't interact with things because nobody can detect that you're here. In fact, you can't stay here. And this is why when those demons were going to be cast out of the man, man of Gadara, they pled with Jesus. They said, there's some pigs over there. Send us into the pigs so we can stay here. Because they said, we don't want to go back where we came from. I've mentioned this to you before. The demons pled so they didn't have to go back into hell. They know what it's like. And so they said, we'd rather be in pigs then go back there. So if we can go into those pigs, at least we can stay here because we'll be inside of, com- inside of somebody. That's why Jesus said, you know, if you, if spirits, if you, if you cast them out of a house, a container, they're going to float around in the, in, this, in the waterless places. And if you don't put something in its place, they're going to gather seven more worse and come back than it was before. So if you're casting demons out, make sure you put something in. You've got to fill the container with the life of God. And by the way, if you've been filled with the life of God, demons can't dwell in you. They can oppress you, they can harass you, they can influence you, but they can't operate, they can't occupy the same space that God occupies. So that answers the question whether Christians can be demon-possessed. No, because there's different levels of demonic influence, which we're not going to get into. They can get right up to that point. They can depress you, oppress you, but they can't possess you if, the spirit, if God's in you because they can't occupy the same spirit place that God's spirit occupies. Okay. All right. But here's the problem. This is you right now. You are a spirit, and that spirit lives in your body. The spirit part of you loves God, wants to obey God. This is what Paul talks about. I find in me a desire, Romans 7, to do what God says to do, but I don't find in me the ability to do it. The desire is in his spirit, but he's trying to act the ability out through his flesh which doesn't want to obey the things of God. This is why you'll have a desire. You'll hear a message. Oh, God. I just want to pray more. I just want to do those things more. That's desires coming from up in here. God put that in there because you're His child. The problem is the thing on the outside that you wear called your flesh, your body, it doesn't want to do that. And most Christians are flesh ruled. And by the way, that's the definition of an immature Christian. And the process of maturing, the process of being transformed is the process of changing the dominion from the body, from the flesh, to the spirit part of you that's God. But here's the problem, and this is really what we're going to introduce tonight. So you are these two containers. You, you are these two parts. You are a spirit being, and that spirit lives in a body. Spirit part of you is from God's domain. 
eternal. It's, it's got God's nature. It's God living in you. But the, you he's, the part of you he's living in comes from the dust of this earth comes from the fallen nature, still contains the fallen desires and the fallen nature. And the problem is because spirit realm can't be detected by your five senses, there's no way for them to communicate. You've got God on the inside of you and you've got flesh that wants to do its own self. So how, if they can't, if, if the physical can't detect, hear, sense the spirit realm, they can't communicate. And here's what happens. God's spirit in you wants to get you to do something, but your body can't detect God's spirit in you. Now, just follow me. On the other hand, your body can't hear what the spirit, because they can't touch each other by very definition. They can't touch each other. So what's God going to do about this? There's a third part of you. Let's look at um, let's look at First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-three. Now this is the end of Paul's letter, first letter to the Thessalonians. He says, "Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you." The word "sanctify" just means set apart so that you're His. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. In other words, the entire you, all of you, the whole package. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if Paul's right, and Paul must be right. He refers to three parts of us. Spirit, soul, and body. But we've only got two parts up there. We've only got spirit, and we've got body. And we've got a problem there, because by definition, they can't contact each other. So you've got God on the inside of you. You've got the life of God on the inside of you. You've got eternity on the inside of you. You've got the wisdom of God and all that on the inside of you. But it can't communicate with the part of you that operates on the outside of you because they can't touch each other. But God solved the problem. You knew He would. God gave us a third part because here's the problem. You've got the spirit on one side and the body on the other side. And the third part that God gave us is a soul. And the soul becomes the bridge that connects the spirit to the body. I want to stop here briefly, and then we'll probably pick up here uh, next week. I want to go back to this, the three parts of man. Because there's major teaching out there that there's only two parts to us, body and soul. And they combine the spirit and the soul together. But here's the problem that creates. The Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, we've been given, made the righteousness of God. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's teaching in the book of Romans, which you're going through to some degree on Sunday mornings, says that when you believe, when you, when you believe in Christ, God attributes His righteousness, Christ's righteousness, to you now. Not when you get to heaven. Now. Which is why Hebrews says we can have bold and confident access to the throne of grace. We can have bold and confident access by a new and living way which He's made for us so we can come with sincere heart, with full assurance of faith, full confidence to come before God. That word boldness literally means to be able to say whatever you want. Just open and honest before God as you would be your closest friend. And you can be just yourself in front of Him because He already knows you anyway. Now. But here's the problem. All right, the Bible says that when I came to Christ, He gave me His righteousness. Thirty-six years ago, we're talking about that today, 37 years ago. If you promise not to tell these people, because my wife's over there, I don't always act that way. Now, don't look at me like that. <laughs> you don't either. Well, wait a minute. If I'm a soul, and my soul lives in a body, and I was made righteous, my soul was made righteous and made the righteousness of God, how come my soul doesn't act that way? How can it be holy and righteous before God and yet still sometimes not act that way? And the reason is because there are not two parts of us. There's three parts of us. The only part that God changed when He came inside of you was the spirit part. He didn't change your body. That was verse 1 on Romans chapter 12, which says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He changed your spirit into His nature so that we now have the ability to act like Him. The part of us that still isn't acting right is the soul, which we're going to see next time is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. So what we're doing is, is we're tonight we're beginning to break you down into those three parts. And understand each of these three parts was designed by God to have a different function. And then what we're going to discover is the mind fits within the soul. And then we're going to see within the soul what function the mind has. Because the mind has a de definite purpose within the soul. And many of us get in trouble because we don't understand that. So we're trying to use our mind for something it was never intended to do. So all I want to leave you with tonight is this understanding. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. I'm going to give you one more scripture. They don't have it back there. I'm just going to read it to you. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick, alive. It's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, 
And it's able to pierce even to the dividing apart of the soul and the spirit. So the Word of God is able to discern the difference between your soul and your spirit. And if your soul and your spirit were one, how could the Word of God discern a difference in the two? And without this understanding... The doctrine of the righteousness of God doesn't make sense because how can I be the righteousness of God and yet not be acting that way? And the way I can is because my nature was changed, but I have the responsibility. Put Romans 12, 2 back up there. I have the responsibility. I have the responsibility. I have the responsibility of being changed. No, no, Romans 12, 2, the first slide. I have the responsibility of being transformed. The part of me that's being transformed is my soul. And we're going to see as we go on how critical that soul is. That's the part we have to work on. The body, yeah, you've got to keep it in shape and you've got to keep it under control. But the part of you that's necessary to keep it under control is the soul. Your spirit always wants to be in dominion. God designed man in the beginning. The way he made him to begin with is the spirit was in dominion. And the soul, we're going to learn, serve the spirit to carry out God's will. When Adam sinned, when Satan came in, he put that out of order. And he put it out of order by getting man to put his soul above his spirit, thinking that now the soul was going to rule, but in reality the body began to rule. And that's why we struggle so much with it. So the process of maturing as a Christian is the process of transforming ourselves by changing how we think so that we begin to learn that our soul thinks in line with the spirit and no longer in line with the body. But all we need to see tonight to lay this groundwork is these three parts, where they come from and what their function is. The spirit comes from the spirit realm. So it is eternal. It has all of God's nature. It has all of those qualities we looked at. Your spirit lives in a body which comes from this earth. It's temporary. It doesn't want to do right. It's the part of you that's fallen. And they, 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 they can't work with each other until they have a bridge that God's given to them, which is your soul. And your soul makes the connection. And that's what we're going to pick up and we're going to look at next week. Father, we thank you tonight for just plain teaching, just plain understanding. Your word tells us to get understanding and with, more, get underst- and with understanding to get more understanding because it's the understanding that we can take home from here and begin to apply in our lives. It's the understanding of how we work, Father, that will help us to, help us to cooperate with you and with your word and all the things that you provided for us so that we can get things in our life in order and get things around us in order and that we can... Com- carry out the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thank you for understanding, Father. Thank you for the owner's manual that tells us what the different operating systems are and how to use them. Thank you for the operating manual, Father. And may we gain and continue to grow in understanding as we learn, Father, how to do what your word tells us to do, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove your good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. We trust the Holy Spirit for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.